Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. Tonight, we're going to give... 124 verse references, okay? So if you're writing notes, I would recommend taking general notes. And then if you need to know something specific, go back and rewatch it. Cause I know you're gonna say, you're going too fast. I have too much to cover and not enough time to do it. And so make sure that you go back cause we're gonna give you 124 verses. So if there's any pastors, leaders watching that are like, Isaiah doesn't give verses. I gave over 70 last week. I'm gonna give over 120 this week because we have to be biblical. It's not about my opinion. It's not about what I want. the times to look like it's not about my interpretation of what the world is happening what does the bible say about the end times what does it say about the rapture what does it say about the, the antichrist what does it say about the tribulation what does it say about the thousand year reign which we're going to talk about what does it say about satan being released on the earth guys these are real events that are going to happen and here's the crazy part last day's events are literally happening as i speak i was preaching last week and didn't even realize as i was preaching Israel was being attacked by rockets and I was realizing I thought God three weeks ago when the Lord started speaking to me to, to preach on the end times the Holy Spirit was inspiring me to preach on this I didn't know why I was preaching on heaven and now the end times and then I started seeing the moment we started preaching on it because obviously God knew end time events started happening last day's events but not just me I don't want to say it was just me many of my pastor friends are writing me saying God is prompting me to preach on the end times so you have to know guys and you got to feel this in the Holy Spirit that there is something happening in our world right now there is an urgency in the spirit there is a movement of the Holy Spirit there is a shaking right now the world is changing right before our eyes as you listen to me preach tonight there is something shifting in the unseen realm and there's something changing globally so listen don't get off this this is why you need to share this is why you need to stay on the whole time because this matters this matters to God and it has to matter to us we cannot be ignorant of the last days we cannot be ignorant of end times you can't sit there and say I'm just gonna leave end times events or end time preaching or the rapture of the tribulation or the seals the bowls or the antichrist or the false prophet or the mark of the beast i'm not just going to leave that to some bible scholar on youtube or some person that preaches at my church once a year i need to know what does the scripture say regarding now i love talking about this but here's the challenge some of this is incredibly complex and it's not easy to wrap our head around so one of the things i felt god has gifted me to do is to make it as simple as possible so at the end i'll take you through the entire end times timeline to review the last three weeks and we'll go over everything but you just need to know it's not an accident that you are here it's not by chance that we've been preaching come on share this on the end times when god started telling me to preach on this i didn't know until i'm starting to see end time events unraveling and here's what you need to understand when tons of people who don't know each other start talking about the same thing at the same time you need to take notice as i was preaching on deliverance many of my pastor friends all over the country they started feeling god telling them to preach on deliverance why because the spirit of god is speaking when people that don't know each other all start preaching the same thing at the same time it's usually the spirit of god speaking to the church remember seven times in the gospel and seven times in the book of revelation the bible says those that have ears let them hear what is the spirit saying to the church so the holy spirit has something always that he's speaking to the church not just in the written word of god but in the spoken word of god we don't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god listen to me closely if you're listening 
the preachers that are on YouTube or on Facebook or on Instagram that are telling you God does not speak anymore. Many of them say this. They say it's already in scripture. We don't need anything else. There's no apostles, no prophets, no pastors, no de- none of it matters anymore. Or they'll say all there is is pastors because God is done speaking. And my question is, where's that in scripture? What scripture says that God is done speaking? And I don't know if you know, but a lot of people you listen to on YouTube, they preach that God is done speaking. But I came to tell somebody that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to his bride. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to his church and God is still moving and we need to have ears. So my prayer tonight is, Lord, give me ears to hear what your spirit is saying to the church. Give me ears. So I'm not the foolish virgin that's sleeping when the Lord returns. There is a real man, I'm going to share about tonight, the second coming, that is coming back and he's not coming back to play religion. He's not coming back to join our religious festivals. He's not coming back to patty cake at the altar. He's not coming back to just visit our Sunday morning. He is coming back to establish an eternal kingdom that is never going to pass away. So we cannot be surprised by this. Now, I don't want to die and go to heaven like many will. And then all these end time events break out and I'm like, oh guys, what's going on? Where are we going? What are we doing? Like, imagine this, when Jesus comes back and brings his church, which I'll share about, so exciting. And we come as an army out of heaven and you're in that army and you're like, where are we going? What are we doing? Because you don't know end time events. Or imagine the rapture breaks out. You're up in the sky. You're being taken up in the sky and you're like, where am I going? Because you don't know about the rapture. Or imagine, God forbid, you don't get saved until after the rapture. And now the mark of the beast is instituted and you don't know about the mark of the beast or the rise of the Antichrist. So we need to know these things so that we can be aware biblically. Again, I'm gonna give you 124 verses tonight. What does the Bible say about the end times? So the last few weeks we've been preaching, we explained the rapture and why and how it's before the tribulation. We explained the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. They're not the same things. We talked about the seals, the bowls, the trumpets. We talked about God's purpose in the tribulation. We talked about the Antichrist and the mark. We talked about how the mark of the beast is going to be instituted. And we shared about the battle of Armageddon. And now we are. So here's where we're at. For all of you that are new, I know there's many of you new. You can go back and watch the last two weeks. Here's where we're at. We are now after the rapture, okay? After the seven years, and I'll show a timeline picture later, after the seven years of tribulation, when Christ is going to appear on the scene once and for all, this is not the rapture. This is what the Bible describes, if you're taking notes, the second coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, just for you to remember, the rapture is going to be unexpected, a thief in the night. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. It's going to come suddenly. No one's going to be prepared. The Bible says everyone's going to be eating and drinking at peace and then the Lord's going to return for his church. That's the rapture, okay? Remember, this is that's not the second coming because the second coming, the Bible says, is going to be clear. You're not going to be in the tribulation at the end of the tribulation and be surprised when the Lord comes back because I'm going to show you how we know when the Lord's going to come back in the second coming, not the rapture. So when you think about somebody gets taken from the field, a woman's out, or a person's on the porch, they disappear, all those Bible verses are about the rapture. They're about the taking away of the body of Christ, the rescuing of the body of Christ before the tribulation. Okay, so you got that? That's the rapture. The second coming, I'm going to get 124 verses. The second coming is when Jesus comes out of the sky and establishes a government on the earth and is going to reign on the earth. Okay, so several weeks after the resurrection, the disciples stood on the Mount of Olives. Listen to this, talking with Jesus. So here's the disciples 
after several weeks after the resurrection on the Mount of Olives, talking to Jesus, Acts 1 6 says, When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? The disciples are waiting for the restoration of Israel to be free and the rest restoration of the kingdom. He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. Speaking of the second coming, they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit up until I come back, the second coming, not the rapture. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to witness to people. You're going to share with people. Remember, even after the rapture, the gospel's going to keep going forward. The Bible says in Revelation, angels are going to preach. The Bible says the two witnesses are going to preach. The 144,000 Jewish evangelists are going to preach the gospel. So understand there's going to be preaching even after the rapture. And then the Bible says this in verse 9, Acts 1, 9. After saying this, very important, he was taken up in a cloud while they were watching and they can no longer see him. And they strained to see him. So they're straining their eyes as he raised into heaven. Two white robed men stood next to them. These are angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday, listen to this, he is going to return from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. The angels are saying, and listen to me closely, there is a real man, and I get chills talking about this, there is a real man that is coming back, share the broadcast, the same way that he left. Out of the heavens, an actual man is going to appear, and he's not coming back to lay down his life again. He is coming back as a king to rule the earth, to rule everything. Armageddon, now we talked about this last week, Armageddon is going to set the stage for Christ to return to the earth once and for all. The difference will be when he left, only a few disciples saw him leave. But when Jesus comes back, write this down, the entire earth is going to see him return. Mark 13, 26, then everyone, the Bible says, will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Again, he left on the clouds, and now Mark 13, 26, he's coming back on the clouds, and everyone's going to see him. So who is going to see the Lord? Now, this is not the rapture. This is the second coming. Every single person is going to see the Lord when he comes. There is a second coming. A man is coming back. Now, I want you to imagine this. Every nation, every station, every channel, every smartphone, the entire world's attention is going to be on him. And all of a sudden, think about the trembling in the earth when all of a sudden a man begins to descend out of the cloud slowly and the entire world is going to be watching. Now, how's that going to happen? I don't fully know, but I know right now through the internet, most of the world has access to internet. Most of the world has access to social media and to television. So there's going to be some way where the entire world, according to the scripture, is going to be able to see him descend from the clouds. Imagine the terror of his enemies when he comes out of the cloud. Remember, they gathered to fight him at Armageddon, Armageddon, but little do they know, with his very breath, the Bible says, he's going to conquer all of his enemies. Matthew 24, 27, he says, just as lightning could be seen from one side of the sky to the other, so will it be at his return. This is going to be a global catastrophic event where the entire earth, those that are left on the earth, which half the population will have been dead at this time, is going to see 
the Lord on a cloud descending from the heavens to establish a government that's never going to end. Revelations 1.7 says, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone's going to see him even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him before jesus arrives on the scene a couple things are going to happen to announce his arrival again this is a very clear description that this is not the rapture this is the second coming two different events because the rapture we will not have any events happening the bible says men will be eating and drinking it'll be as the days of noah everything will be going fine and then the lord's going to come like a thief in the night that's not the second coming the second coming is not a thief in the night the second coming will have telltale signs Revelation 6:12 says the sun will go dark and the moon is going to turn red. That's one of the signs. Stars are going to fall from the sky. Revelation 6:14 says the entire sky will peel back and roll up like a scroll and the earth will begin to shake. Now I want you to think about this. This is before the Lord comes back. This is not going to surprise you when the, the Lord comes back. The earth is not going to be surprised. It's literally in scripture. The entire earth, I'm sorry, the entire sky is going to get peeled back like a scroll being rolled up. So the sky's gonna roll up like a scroll. Think about how crazy this is. Revelation 16, 18 says the largest earthquake ever that ever existed is gonna happen. The earthquake is so large, the mountains are gonna disappear. And this stuff's gonna be happening right before the Lord comes back. The Bible says that people of the world will know he's coming and they're going to try to hide in caves to escape his wrath. So the world's gonna recognize the Lord's going to begin. The Lord's about to come. Jesus is about to come out of the sky, and they're going to try to hide in caves. The Bible says and hide themselves from the wrath, and they're going to cry out, saying, "Who can escape the wrath of the Lamb? Who can escape the one that sits on the throne? Who can escape the one, the rider of the white horse? Who can escape His wrath?" This is not. This is going to be a great for those that are saved that got saved after the rapture. A great day for those that are not saved. A terrible day. This is the great and terrible, the great and terrifying day of the Lord. The Bible says, and this is why I keep showing you the rapture and the second coming are different because there's clear signs of the second coming. Rapture unexpected, second coming is expected. Now the Bible says after these things, Jesus will be coming out of the sky and every nation will see him and they will begin to mourn. Ezekiel 43, 2 says suddenly the glory of God of Israel appeared from the east the sound of his coming was like the roar of rushing waters and the whole landscape shined with the Lord's glory so this is going to be when he comes down an incredibly loud noise and the entire earth is going to be shining with the glory of God as the Lord appears now Revelation 19:11 tells us what he's going to look like now, I know many of you don't read the Bible, but I'm telling you guys, if you begin to open up your word, you're going to see the mysteries of God revealed. Revelation 19, 11, it's going to tell us, this is what Jesus is going to look like when he comes back the second time. It says this, then I saw the heaven opened and a white horse was standing there. Okay, so now I'm seeing a white horse. This is John. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and, and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe, listen to this, dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. So this is Jesus on a white horse. He's wearing robes dripping in blood. The Bible already tells us what he's going to look like when he comes back. Robes dripping in blood. His eyes are going to be like flames of fire, and he's going to be wearing many crowns on his head. But here's the most amazing thing, and here's where I get, I'm not even going to say it because I get chills this entire time. He's not going to be alone. Many people don't realize the Lord is not coming back. Write this down by himself, but he's actually going to be accompanied by something called the armies 
of heaven, the heaven's armies. The Bible calls him the Lord of heaven's armies in Psalms 46, seven. And this heavenly army, the Bible says in Revelation is going to be with them. And here's what the Bible says in Revelation 19, 14. This army is going to be clothed in the finest of pure white linen, and they are going to follow him on white horses. Think about this. There's the one, the one whose name is faithful and true, has a name no one can understand. I'm trying to give you a picture. Robes dripping in blood, eyes like fire, wearing many crowns. But hold on, there's an army behind him wearing white linen on white horses. So the question is, who is the army? Man, I got chills, guys, like so crazy. I feel like crying. Who are these people that are riding on these horses? These are all those that have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Every single saint from the days of Adam and Eve right until the time of the tribulation, right? The rapture happens now the time of tribulation. So anyone from rapture before is going to be in that army. So here's the reality. If you believe in Jesus and the rapture has not occurred yet, which praise the Lord, he ha it has it. The Lord of heaven's armies is going to lead you into battle that day. I feel like crying when I talk about this friend. I'm telling you, there is a man that is going to lead his army. The, the Lord of the heavens armies, according to Psalms, and we are going to be all on white horses. We're all going to have white linen and white horses, and we're going to be riding back to the earth with Jesus. And I'm going to show you what's going to happen to destroy his enemies, to make war against the enemy, against the devil and against the armies of the world. Now, when Jesus and his, and his army, which is us, come down, this is in your Bible, they're not going to arrive at Armageddon. Remember, at this point, the kings of the earth, all the rulers, all the armies, I'll recap for last week, they're going to be gathered at Armageddon because here's what's going to happen. The Antichrist is going to convince the world's armies to destroy God. He's going to try to wage war against God. Now, the Antichrist is so powerful, the people say, whom can defeat him? Who can stand against the Antichrist? I mean, he is so powerful. People are going to think he's God and they're going to be convinced nobody can defeat him. So he's going to convince all the world's armies to go against the Lord and his anointed and to fight God and to fight the Lord's army. God is not going to arrive. Jesus is not coming back at Armageddon. Instead, the Bible says in Zechariah 14, 4, He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. So where is Jesus going to come back? On the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is going to split into two. And this is going to fulfill a prophecy, just as the angel said. Jesus will come back the same way he left. Where did Jesus leave? He was on the Mount of Olives teaching the disciples, and he left. And he's going to come back on the Mount of Olives. During his second coming, he will descend on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says the whole earth is going to tremble at his presence and he's going to set out to begin to judge the world. Come on, share this. We're almost at 3,000. He's going to judge the world and he's going to reign and wreak havoc and warfare on the kings of this world. There's going to be a massive war. Now, what is the primary purpose, you might say, of Jesus coming back? And I'm trying to keep it simple tonight. Coming back to the earth. The Bible says the first time he came in John 1 29, we already know why he came the first time. And that was the lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. So John 1 29, he came as a lamb of God to take away sin he, and bring grace and bring salvation. He's not going to return to bring grace and salvation. He's going to return for war. Now, what you need to understand in those days, when a king would enter in a city, he would either ride a donkey or a horse. If a king came to your city riding a donkey, all the city would know the king came to declare peace with those people. If the king rode a horse and you all of a sudden you're in your city and you see a king riding in, this is back in those days, and he's riding a horse, you automatically knew he's coming to declare war against you. Jesus, the Bible says, came as a lamb 
rode on a donkey. Y'all remember when he rode in Jerusalem on a donkey? But he's not riding back on a donkey. The Bible says in Revelation, he's riding on a white horse. Because you understand, he's not coming to declare peace. He's coming to declare war. He's coming on a, on a horse as a lion. Revelation 5, 5 says, But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. So he comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, not a lamb, came as a lamb on a donkey, comes back as a lion on a white horse. Come on, somebody help me preach. There is a Jewish man, a real Jewish man, that is coming back to establish a real government on this earth. So when I mean this earth, I mean the earth you're living on. He is going to come to this earth and establish an eternal kingdom for 1,000 years. When he comes back, he's coming back to bring judgment. Acts 17:31. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. So God has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man, Jesus, who he has appointed. And he approved to everyone who is this, who this is by raising him from the dead. So God sends Jesus, appoints him to bring justice, and he proves Jesus is Jesus by raising him from the dead. Remember, it says that the world was once destroyed with water, but one day it's going to be destroyed. The whole world's going to be destroyed by fire. So there's going to be massive calamity and, and all-out war when he comes back. Jesus is going to come back as a great army general. So here's what I need you to do. The picture at your grandma's house of Jesus holding the lamb, petting the lamb with a nice little sash wearing the potato sack. I need you right now to remove that picture out of your mind. That is not the Jesus of scripture. That is not the Jesus that is coming back. The Jesus that is coming back is an army general. Whether you like this or not, he is an army general. In fact, he's the Lord of heaven's armies, according to Isaiah 47.4. He's going to destroy his enemies. Now, these enemies he's going to destroy include the Antichrist, the false prophet who we have not talked about. Maybe I'll do a video on it another day. And anyone who follows them. So that's who he's coming to destroy. He's going to unleash the full wrath of God, according to Revelation 19.15. And he's going to slaughter his enemies all over the earth. That's Psalms 110, verse 5 through 7. He's going to destroy the nations with his anger. That's Isaiah 63, 6. And his blood will, and blood will stain his clothes. That's Isaiah 63, 3. So you need to understand this is a war general. Now, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, Isaiah doesn't recognize him. Isaiah says this, who is this man who comes from Edom, who comes from Edom, the city of Basra, whose robes are dripping in blood? Understand Isaiah chapter six, what happened? Isaiah saw the Lord, okay? Now Isaiah 63, Isaiah doesn't recognize who is this man I see. Now, why does Isaiah not recognize the Isaiah chapter six encounter to the Isaiah 63 encounter? Because the Jesus that he saw the first time is not the Jesus he sees the second time. He sees the Lord coming back. And there is going to be a lot of you like Isaiah. When I say Isaiah the prophet, there's going to be a lot of you that do not recognize Jesus because you got taught in your Sunday morning church that Jesus was calm, that Jesus was nice, that he doesn't judge, but you're going to be shocked when you see the actual God of scripture. Isaiah 63, who is this man that comes from Edom, the city of Basra, whose robes are dripping in blood? 
who's crushing his enemies like the wine press. Like, who is this? Legitimately, Isaiah doesn't recognize him. I want to recognize him when he comes back. So you need to know that God, and this is why many of you are not militant in your Christianity. This is why many of you are not engaging in spiritual warfare. You're not warfare minded because you think you're following a social norm, Jesus. You think you're following a political leader, Jesus. You are following a king in a kingdom that is coming back to declare war, that wars against the powers of darkness the eyes of his enemies now this is a little bit graphic here but just stay with me the eyes of his enemies are going to rot in their sockets the bible says think about that zechariah 14 12. they are so terrified of this man his their eyes begin to rot in their sockets the blood of his enemies the bible says will form a river more than 180 miles long the river will be so deep, it'll reach a horse's bridle. That's in Revelation 14, 20. I'm giving you verses, guys. I've already given you over 30. The river of blood is so deep. When you, If you've ever ridden a horse, the bridle, where you're riding the bridle, that portion is going to be how deep the river is, and it's going to span 180 miles. That's like, how, how far is that drive? That's about a two and a half hour drive, right? Yeah, it's about two and a half hour drive. So you're going to get in your car, in your Tesla, or whatever you drive, praise the Lord. If you drive a Tesla, so into the ministry. But you're going to get into your car. You're going to drive two and a half hours. You're going to look to your right, and from the beginning of your drive, to two and a half hours later, there's going to be still a river deep as a horse's bridle of pure blood. And where's that blood coming from? That blood is coming from his enemies. So do you see the bloodshed? Do you see the warfare? I'm trying to give you a picture and that's in Revelation 14, 20. This is going to be unparalleled. The warfare, the blood, the chaos. Jesus is not going to use traditional weapons. He's not going to use tanks or guns or knives or missiles or sniper rifles or other conventional weapons of war. The weapon he's going to use is going to be more powerful than any weapon ever devised or created by humans. It's going to be more powerful than the most powerful nuclear warhead. And the weapon he's going to be using is the word of God. The Bible says in Revelation 19:15, a sharp sword is going to come from his mouth to strike down the nations. His word, oh, come on, Holy Ghost, help me preach tonight. His word, the spoken word of God is going to be a sword out of his mouth. And with his very word, with his very word, he's going to strike down the nations, Revelation 19:15. So this is not a God to mess around with. Every technology, every army, remember the Bible says, the Antichrist gathers all the world's armies at Armageddon to fight the Lord. They're all there ready to fight him. With every technology, with every nuclear advancement, and the Lord, out of his mouth, comes a sword, which is his word, and destroys the enemies. Now listen to this. A single breath from his mouth will destroy his enemies, Isaiah 11:4. The voice of Jesus is so powerful, the Bible says it causes the heavens and the earth to shake, Joel 3:16. He'll make war with the sword of his mouth, according to Revelation 2:16. It's a powerful, his word alone will de destroy all the armies at Armageddon. That's Revelation 19, 21. The Bible says his voice splits mighty cedars. If you've ever seen a cedar tree, that's in Psalms 29, 5. It twists mighty oaks and it strips forest bare. That's in Psalms 29, 9. Think, guys, think about what the Bible's saying here. Psalms 29, 9 saying, his voice strips forest bare. Think about that. A forest get stripped down bare when he speaks. It also says that it strikes with bolts of lightning. That's in Psalms 29, seven. 
and makes the barren wilderness quake. Psalms 29, 8. It thunders like mighty waters. Revelation 1, 15. When he speaks, think about this one, the earth melts, M-E-L-T-S, like melts, like a hot pocket in the microwave. When the Lord speaks, the earth begins to melt. That's in Revelations 46, 6. So we're not, this is not a weak God that you're talking about. This is not a fake God that you're talking about. This is not some powerless God. This is a God that's very word, melts earths, shakes earth, strips forests, and has the power to create universes. Jesus will slaughter the enemies armed against him. That's in Revelations 19.21. Again, their blood's going to form a deep river 180 miles long. The Antichrist is going to be the most powerful human being that's ever walked the earth outside of Jesus Christ. And no human, the Bible says in Daniel 8.23, will be able to defeat him. So it doesn't matter. He's going to be invincible. You're not going to be able to kill the Antichrist. You're not going to be able to defeat him. He's indestructible. He's invincible until the Lord shows up. Now, even the angels are going to struggle to fight the Antichrist. The Bible says he's going to trample them and throw them to the ground. That's in Daniel 8.10. The Antichrist is so arrogant to think that he's going to defeat Jesus in this battle, but he doesn't even come close. In fact, the Bible doesn't give us any indication that the Antichrist can hurt, stop, or slow down the Lord or his army. So I don't know how, I don't know what our role is going to be in the, in the warfare, but we're going to be a part of the army fighting against the rulers and the people of this world and the Antichrist. We're going to be in that army, the Bible says. So y'all just better strap your boots up, get your sword ready, because this is no game or no, jo- no joke. Jesus destroys every, fourth ga- ga- every force gathered against him at the Battle of Armageddon. And this is going to be, the Bible calls him slain, the Antichrist slain by the breath of the Lord. That's in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. So think about this, the most powerful ruler in the entire world, never in history, no one can defeat him. They're going to say, who can defeat the Antichrist? He's so powerful. He's invincible, indestructible. You can't kill him or destroy him. And the Lord, and this is so God in his sovereignty and his power, the things that he does. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2.8, the breath of the Lord. Like it's not even, it's not even God getting a thousand soldiers or a million or angels. It's his breath. He literally just... He just breathes and the Antichrist, the most powerful person ever, besides Jesus, obviously, is now been destroyed. The Bible says the body, the bodies of God's fallen enemies are going to litter the landscape. He's going to prepare a great feast and this is what's going to happen. This is in your Bible. I'm going to give you the verse here in a second. God, the bodies are going to be littered all over the earth and God's going to prepare a great feast and here's the feast. Here's what the Bible says. He will announce to the birds of the earth. Listen to this, guys. This is what the Lord's going to say to the birds of the earth. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors of horses and their riders of all humanity, both free, slave, small, and great. That's Revelations 19, 17. The Lord declares a huge feast. And he says, birds of the earth, there's so many bodies, so much flesh, because he's destroyed all these rulers and wicked kings that have turned from God, rebelled against God. Remember, he gave everyone a chance to repent. Everyone's already had a chance to see revival through the seven years of tribulation. Angels are going to preach. Witnesses are going to preach. It's going to be unrefutable revival. They've rejected God. Now God comes back to judge the earth, destroys the armies, and God calls a massive banquet and says, come and eat the flesh of the kings, the generals, the horses, and the riders. This is no joke, y'all. You need to get this tonight. This is serious stuff. Revelation 19, 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one who's sitting on the horse and his army. Let me say that again. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one that's sitting on the horse, but listen to what it says in Revelation 19, 19, and his army. 
Who is his army? I already told you. We are his army. We're going to be dressed in white, riding white horses. And the Antichrist and the beast are going to war against the one on the horse. This war is not just against the Lord. It's also against his army, which is us. And the Bible says in verse 20, but thank God that we have the general that's going to win, that never lost a battle. And the beast was captured. Some of you are like, I've never heard this before. It's going to get crazier. And the beast was captured and with him, the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. The false prophet, I won't go into detail. I'll do a video on this, was basically somebody that was rallying next to the Antichrist. This was his hype man. This was his wingman. This was his guy. This was his associate pastor. The Antichrist associate pastor was a false prophet. The false prophet does signs and wonders and convinces the world, creates a global cult to convince the world to follow the Antichrist. So if you're wondering who's the false prophet character, that's the false prophet. And he's going to be also fighting, but he will also be defeated. And the Bible says, um, miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark and the beast and who those who worship the statue, both the beast and the false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So he's going to capture these people and he's going to throw them in the burning lake of fiery sulfur. So now the Antichrist and the false prophet are now thrown in the lake of fire. So that's where they're at. So keep this timeline in your head and I'll go over at the very end the entire timeline so don't be confused. Their entire army, the Bible says, so this is all their army that they've amassed, they've they've recruited, they've called. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies, Revelation 19, 19. When Jesus came, now here's an interesting thing I'm, I'm gonna share with you. When Jesus came, he entered Jerusalem through what's called the Eastern Gate, riding on a donkey to fulfill a prophecy that he's going to enter through the Eastern Gate. But here's what I want to share with you. I found this about the Eastern Gate. Okay, listen to this. This is very important with the coming of the Lord. In 1541, on um, an Ottoman sultan named Suleiman, okay, so someone named Suleiman sealed the Eastern Gate. Now, no one knows for sure why he did this. One legend says his goal was to prevent the Messiah's arrival because the prophecy said the Lord would return through the Eastern Gate. Jewish prophecy said the Messiah would enter Jerusalem through the Eastern Gate. Suleiman wanted to end any rumors of the Messiah's arrival, so he sealed the gate. Then he placed a Muslim cemetery in front of the bricked up gate. He believed that no Jewish holy man would 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 walk through the uh, walk through risking defiling himself. At least that's what legend says. We can't be sure the story's true. And this is an article I read about the Eastern Gate. Nevertheless, the Eastern Gate remains sealed to this day. You can go to Jerusalem right now, and the Eastern Gate is sealed to this day. Why does it? Why do we bring this up? Because more than two thousand years before Suleiman sealed it, Ezekiel said the Eastern Gate would be shut and no one was to ever open it and pass through it again. Why? Because the Lord God of Israel entered through it, and that's in Ezekiel 44 too. So Ezekiel prophesied that someone was going to shut the eastern gate and never enter through it, and, and this man, Suleiman, in the 1500s sealed the gate. This refers to Jesus entering through the eastern gate on Palm Sunday. That's in Matthew 21, 1. Since 1541, no one has ever entered the eastern gate and passed through it. During that time, numerous kings and nations ruled over Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Yet despite several attempts to open the gate, the gate remains closed to this day. And just as the Bible says, it remains closed even now. But that's not the end of the story. And this is an article. One day the gate is going to be opened. No man will open it. Man, I I don't know why I'm getting so emotional tonight. No man will open it, but Jesus is going to open the eastern gate. So it's still sealed right now. Ezekiel said the eastern gate is the gate which Jesus will enter through when he returns. That's Ezekiel 43, 1 through 4. 
The Eastern Gate is one of the eight gates built into the walls surrounding the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It's the only entrance into Jerusalem from the east, and it faces the Mount of Olives. And remember, the Mount of Olives is the place where the angel said Jesus would return in Acts 1.11. It is the exact place where his feet will touch down on the earth. That's where he's going to arrive in Zechariah 14.4. Isaiah said when he comes, he's going to approach from the southeast, and he'll come from the ancient Edom and Basra. Today, these, these areas are in the nation of the Jordan. That's in Isaiah 63, 1-6. Ezekiel says this, he's going to come to the eastern gate and the sound of his arrival will be like the rushing waters. The whole land's going to shine. Then the glory of the Lord will enter the temple through the east gateway. That's Ezekiel 43, 4. Guys, this is Bible prophecy. After being shut for hundreds of years, the eastern gate will open so that the king of kings, the Lord of heaven's armies can pass through the gate once again. That's Psalms 24, 7 through 10. Again, don't worry about writing these down. You can go back through and you can take notes and take scriptures. So think about that. It's sealed in the 1500s. They sealed the gate. Prophecy says it was going to get sealed up thousands of years before they sealed it. And prophecy says no one's going to enter through the Eastern gate. Jesus comes back and Jesus is going to unlock and come through the Eastern gate in Jerusalem. After this happens with all of his enemies. So here we are. I'm learning a lot too. Praise the Lord. With all of his enemies defeated, okay, Jesus is going to establish a kingdom on the earth. Ezekiel 43, 7 tells us he's going to set up a throne in Jerusalem and a new age is going to begin. So now the Lord has come back. He's defeated his enemies. He's dealt with the Antichrist. Now we're going to have a new age. He's going to set up a throne in, he's going to set up a throne in Jerusalem and a new age. And this is going to be a time where God is going to dwell among men. And it's often referred to as the millennial reign of Christ because it's going to last 1,000 years. Many of you don't know this, okay, because you're newly saved and this is your first time hearing about the end times. Jesus is going to come back to the earth, establish a throne in Jerusalem, and rule on the earth for 1,000 years, okay? So this is now, we're now starting the millennial reign. This is the millennial reign, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, by the time the Antichrist, think about this, is done with the seven-year tribulation, now the tribulation is over. The world is going to be in complete ruin. Over the half the population, the Bible says, is going to be dead. There's going to be global devastation. And despite incredible worldwide destruction, a number of people will have lived to the end. So all of the stuff I talked about two weeks ago of the seals, the trumpets, the death, the blood, the stars falling from the sky, half the world's population is going to die. The, Armaged the battle of Armageddon, we're now in a place where there's going to be a number of people that have lived and survived all of that. Some will be Christians who survived the Antichrist reign of terror. Others will be followers of the Antichrist who survived Armageddon. And as Jesus takes his throne in Jerusalem, his one, his first task is going to be sorting out the survivors of the tribulation. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture later of all of this. So now Jesus has defeated the Antichrist. He's reigning, sets up a throne in Jerusalem. Here's his first order of business. Are you all ready for this? What is Jesus' first order of business in the beginning of the thousand-year reign? His first task is to begin to sort out the survivors of the tribulation. Jesus will also need to deal with Satan and the fallen angels because remember, he's dealt with the Antichrist and the false prophet, but he has not dealt with Satan and the fallen angels. So now he's established his throne and the Bible says he's going to punish Satan and the fallen angels and the proud rulers of nations and he's going to round them all up and put them in prison. That's in Isaiah 24. Now Revelation 20 Chapter, chapter 20, verse 1 says, Then an angel came down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. So here's an angel, a key in one hand and a chain in one hand. 
He sees the dragon, the old serpent, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for 1,000 years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the 1,000 years was finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. So understand now we're at the thousand year reign. The, he's established his throne in Jerusalem. An angel is going to come out of heaven according to your, your Bible, Revelation. He's going to have a key in one hand, chains in the other hand, and the angel is going to chain up the devil and his angels, throw him in the bottomless pit and lock the bottomless pit so that the devil will not be able to escape. He will be literally held in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years until we'll talk about later he gets released. Now, this portion of the kingdom of God is called the millennial kingdom because it lasts a thousand years while the kingdom of God is eternal. So the millennial kingdom is only going to last 1000 years. And this is going to be now. Okay. So now Christ has reigned on the earth. He's built his throne in Jerusalem. He's defeated the antichrist. Satan has been chained. He's dealt with all the rulers of this world, according to the book of Isaiah. So now what do we do? Now we start what's called the sheep and the goat judgment. That's what's the first order business. So the millennial kingdom, write this down, is going to start with the sheep and goat judgment. Jesus, I'm going to just describe it for you, is going to sit on his throne, gather the nations in his presence, and he's going to begin to separate people as a, sh a shepherd separates sheep from goats. That's in Matthew 25, 31. He's going to place the sheep, which are his followers, those that got saved after the rapture, the seven-year period, okay? The sheep are going to go at his right, and the goats, who are his enemies, the followers of the Antichrist, the ones that took the mark, the ones that accepted the beast, that worshiped the beast, that did not repent, his enemies, the goats are going to go to the left. And then he will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. That's Matthew 25, 31. That's the millennial kingdom that he's built that he's establishing on the earth. So you'll be invited into the millennial kingdom. Those that got saved during the tribulation after the rapture. I'll explain all the timelines later. Only the Christians, listen to me very closely, who survived the tribulation will enter the millennial kingdom. Okay, only those that survive are going to enter. But what about the other Christians? What about, let's think about this. All the Christians that got martyred in the tribulation. What about all those who lived and died centuries before the tribulation? They will also enter into the millennial kingdom. So if you died before the rapture, if you if you got taken in the rapture, this is on, this judgment is only for those that got saved during the tribulation. Everybody else will enter into the millennial kingdom by default. They're going to serve Jesus, and I'm going to show you this later, and we're going to help him rule over the nations, okay? So here's the role. So now that's the sheep and the goat judgment. Here's the role of the saints. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to rule in the millennial kingdom with him. The Bible says he's going to give you authority over the nations and those who are victorious and obey him to the end. That's Revelation 2.26. Now, Daniel had a vision of a time when people took over the kingdom. That's in Daniel 7.22. He saw a time when the sovereignty, power, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people. So God is going to give us the power over the nations. The kingdom is going to last forever, and those and all the rulers will serve and obey the Most High God. That's Daniel 7.27. In this kingdom, Christians will serve as priests, okay? You're going to be a priest. That's Revelation 5.10, and you're going to be a judge. That's Revelation 20, verse 4. The 12 apostles or 12 disciples are going to sit on the 12 thrones. And from there, they're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. That's Matthew 19, 28. So you're going to rule over nations. The 12 apostles are going to sit on thrones and they're going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. 
Now here's, let's talk about the martyrs. The martyrs from the tribulation are also going to enter into the millennial kingdom. Anyone beheaded for their testimony or anyone killed for proclaiming the word of God are going to rule with Christ in the millennial kingdom. That's Revelations 24 verse 4. The Bible describes these people as those who did not worship the beast or a statue or take the mark on their forehead or their hands. And if you're a Christian, you too will rule the nations with Christ. So if you're alive right now, don't stress. As long as you're a believer, you're going to rule the nations according to Revelation. And Jesus is going to give everyone a special type of job. Some are going to have higher positions of authority. Some are going to have more uh, prestigious roles. Others are going to have less prestigious roles. Now, how is Jesus going to decide? What role you're going to have in the millennial kingdom? Have you thought about this? A thousand years, you're going to reign with Christ, ruling on the earth. This is not heaven. This is literally on the earth. He's going to establish a throne in Jerusalem. How do I know if I'm going to have a high position of authority or a low position of authority? This is what determines what position you're going to have, what you do with your life right now. I want you to listen to me very closely as I'm preaching this to you tonight. What you do right now in your life is going to determine your reward and your position of authority in the millennial kingdom because there's going to be something called the bema judgment i looked at the pronunciation okay it's called bema the bema judgment is going to be the judgment of works remember no one is condemned when you put your faith in jesus that's romans 1 8 when you die and god decides whether you go to heaven or hell you're not judged on works because remember works can't save you you're judged on your relationship with jesus okay you're not judged on works works cannot save you this judgment the bema judgment is the judgment of works it does not mean christians are going to avoid judgment because you're going to go to heaven or hell but this is going to be a judgment day that has nothing to do with salvation but it's only about works now i've always wrestled this now why am i going to be judged on judgment day if i believed in jesus put my faith and it's not about works because there's different judgments the bema judgment is about god judging people based on their works it's not a heaven or hell judgment it's a works judgment jesus said everyone will give account on judgment day for every idle word they speak that's matthew 12 36 the bible says god searches hearts and examines secret motives to give people rewards they deserve that's jeremiah 17 10. this means god is going to bring our deepest secrets to light he's going to reveal our true motives and he's going to give each person according to first corinthians 4 5 whatever praises do there is coming a day of judgment called the Bema, Bema judgment. That's 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Romans 14.10. That's the judgment seat of Christ. The Bema judgment. It's a Greek word. Now the word Bema, it means platform or judgment seat. And this is how it worked out. In ancient Greece, a Bema was an elevated platform in the Olympic Games. The Greeks used to crown their champions with olive leaf wreaths. And in a similar way, Jesus is basically saying, I'm going to be on that judgment seat. And you know, Paul's always relating our Christian life to the Colosseum and to running the race. Jesus is going to be on the Bema, on the judgment, the platform, and he's going to be handing out heavenly rewards, eternal rewards based on what you did. So some will have a higher reward. Some will have a lower reward. Some will have a reward. It's B-E-M-A. B-E-A-M-A, it's pronounced Bema. That's the Greek word, B-E-M-A. Some will have a high reward and a lower reward. Now, God is not gonna reject anyone at the judgment seat, the Bema judgment, because remember, God loves everybody equally, but God will give different rewards based on how you live your life. Now, if you think everyone's gonna have equal status in heaven, you're wrong. That's not how heaven's gonna be. Because remember, Matthew 5, 19, Jesus said some will be called least in the kingdom of heaven while others will be called great. Matthew 19, 30, he said... 
Those who seem most important are going to be least important, and those who seem least are going to be greatest. So there's going to be a level of greatness and a level of least based on your works on the earth. So again, works don't get you saved, but works give you a greater reward. I'm going to show you some of these rewards, and this is like the perks package, the retirement package here, and works give you a higher position in the millennial kingdom. And this is why Jesus said, don't focus on earthly treasures, focus on heavenly treasures. He says in Matthew 6, 19, to don't, don't store up treasures where moths and rust can destroy and thieves can steal, but store up treasures in heaven where no moth can steal, nothing can rust, and no thieves can take. The treasures of heaven are eternal. So don't, guys, listen to me closely. If you get anything, don't spend your life gathering earthly treasures, monies, houses, possessions. They're all temporary. You're not going to take any of them to heaven, but the only thing you're going to take is your heavenly reward. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go over some eternal rewards. I'm glad you asked. You're like, what are the rewards? I'm going to show you some. There's many more than what I'm going to show you, but I'm just going to give you the ones that I that are in the scriptures that we can find in scripture, but there is many more, but here's just a couple. The crown of victory that's found in 1 Corinthians 9.25. This reward is for those who've overcome the desires of the flesh through discipline. To win this crown, you must discipline your body like an athlete. That's the crown of victory. 1 Corinthians 9.25. The next crown is the crown of rejoice, rejoicing. That's Philippians 4.1 and that 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Remember, he's going to give us crowns. This reward is for those who have, who have led others to become followers of Jesus. And to win this, you need to share your faith. To get the crown of rejoicing, you need to share your faith with people. If you never share your faith, you never win anyone to the Lord. You're not going to get the crown of rejoicing. The crown of righteousness is the next reward. That's in 2 Timothy 4.8. This is a reward for those who eagerly and patiently wait for the second coming. To win this crown, you need to live every day of your life as if Jesus could return at any moment. This is a reward for those that eagerly wait for the coming of the Lord. That's the crown of righteousness. Again, if I'm going too fast, rewatch it and write it down, okay? The crown of life. That's in James 1.12 and Revelation 2.10. This, this reward is for those that endure testing, temptation, persecution, suffering, and martyrdom. That's the crown of life. To win this, you need to remain faithful to the very end. And you need to love God more than you love your very own life. Because remember what his revelation says. They got the crown because they love the Lord more than their very own life. And that, that's the crown for those that are martyred, persecuted, those that suffer for the gospel. All right, the crown of glory, that's in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. This is a reward for those who are placed in positions of authority or responsibility in the church. This crown brings never-ending glory and honor, and to win it, you must lead by example. You need to exhibit love and peace and passion and humility, and you need to watch over those around you. This is for those that are leaders and have responsibility in the body of Christ. Okay, here's a good one. Are you all ready? Houses, family, and property. You're going to get this in the next life. Watch this. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said this, anyone who gives up houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or property for his sake will receive, are you ready? 100 times as much in return. Now, how many investors do you know would do anything for a hundred time investment? Yet Jesus says, I'm going to give you a hundred times in this life and the life to come. Well, how could I give up my mother and father? How about this? They persecute you. There's many of you in the chat right now. Your mom and dad won't even talk to you because you're a believer. And you know what Jesus says? I'm going to reward you. If you've lost your relationship, you gave up your relationship with your dad, you gave up your relationship with your mom, you sold a property to fund a ministry, you sold a house to fund a ministry, I'm going to give you a hundredfold 
in the life to come. So there's that's an eternal reward. Now there's other rewards I won't go into based on the parable of the talents. Um, and I've already preached on that on the conversations on judgment day, but there's other rewards based on what's been given to you. So God is gonna look at all that he gave you. Like for me, it's the ministry, right? He gave me all of you guys, the following, the community, the platform, and God's gonna judge me based on what I did with what he gave me. So God has given me this platform. It's not my page, it's God's page. It's not my channel, it's God's channel. It's not my ministry, it's God's ministry. I'm gonna be judged based on what I preached to you guys. Did I use scripture? Was I biblically sound? Did I lead people astray? God's gonna judge me based on, that's the judgment of talents, or the, I'm sorry, the parable of the talents. Also, there's heavenly mansions. That's in John 14 too. Jesus talks about these mansions. How many know these mansions are gonna have no utility bills? Come on, somebody, can I get a one in the chat? They're gonna have no floods. They're gonna have no property taxes. They're gonna have no water bills, no fires. The grass is never gonna need to be mowed and your neighbors are all gonna be nice. That's the heavenly mansion. Jesus said, my father's preparing a mansion for you. In Revelation, Jesus says this, hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. That's Revelations 3.11. He says, look, I'm coming soon and I'm bringing a reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. That's Revelation 22, 12. So if anyone you're listening to that says, oh, don't worry about works, works don't matter. Revelation 22, 12, I'm bringing a reward with me. This is Jesus uh, to give to people according to their deeds, according to their works. But here's what's interesting about Revelation 3. It says, don't let anyone take your crown. That means it's possible for people to take your crown from you. Imagine living in eternity and somebody else wearing your crown, somebody else having your crown. So he says, don't let anybody steal your crown from you. I don't want to live in eternity and be in heaven and be like, why does my name on your crown? Because I wasn't willing to do what God told me to do. Hold on to your crown. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your passion. Hold on to your fire because there is a judgment and there's rewards to be handed out. Next thing I want to talk about is what will the millennial, I know we're at 52 minutes in, get type one if I can keep going here. What will the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign be like? Okay, I'm going to describe to you, according to scripture, what the thousand year reign is going to be like. Now it's going to be far different than the world today. And this is going to get a little complex, but I'm going to explain it good. Jesus is going to establish his throne in Jerusalem. That's Isaiah 24, 23. Each year, the kingdoms of the, of the earth are going to stream to the city to praise Jesus. That's Isaiah 2.2. So every year, everyone's going to come together to praise God. And those that don't gather to praise him in this specific time period are going to be cursed. Okay, they're going to have famine. People will be full of wisdom and understanding. That's Isaiah 32.4. People are going to live long lives. Are you guys ready for this? Babies are not going to die. It'll be impossible for a baby to die. The average lifespan is gonna be more than 100 years. That's Isaiah 65, 20. So during the thousand years, babies can't die. There's gonna be an increase of wisdom and understanding. People are gonna be living more than 100 years. That's gonna be the average lifespan. That's Isaiah 65, 20. When, listen to this. When people pray to God, this is my favorite part of all of this. When people pray to God, he's gonna answer them even before they tell him what they need. Isaiah 65, 24. Are y'all hearing me? They're going to pray, and before they tell him, he's going to answer their prayer. So you're going to say, God, would you heal, deliver, do this, open, and God says, I'm answering you before you even get the words out. That's in Isaiah 65, 24. People are not going to worry. Listen to this. People are not going to worry about thieves, invaders, or tyrannical governments, and they're going to enjoy the fruits of their own labor, and they're going to live the way God, um, the, the way God intended life to be. There will be no violence in the thousand-year reign. Look at this one. 
Animals will no longer hunt each other. People will no longer attack each other. Come on, somebody. I can walk down the street at night. Both humans and animals are going to live in peace. So humans are not going to be killing animals, okay? Wolves and lambs, the Bible says, are going to lay side by side. Leopards are going to lay next to baby goats. And calves and children will be safe with lions. That's Isaiah 11:6. So our kids are going to be able to have lions because they're not going to be able to hurt our children. Babies, the Bible says, are going to play with cobras and they're going to be safe. Nothing can hurt or destroy. And the whole earth will be filled with people who know and love the Lord. That's Isaiah 11:10. Come on, somebody. Are y'all excited about the thousand? I'm ready to come back to the earth already. I haven't even left yet. This is good stuff. Day and night is going to disappear. There'll be no day and no night. The light of the sun and the moon is going to fade away. Isaiah 24, 23. Yet it will still be continuous day. That's Zechariah 14, 6. Even at night, it'll still be light because the glory of the Lord. That's Zechariah 14, 6 through 7. The millennial kingdom is also going to have a certain pathway called the great, uh, it's going to be a great road that runs through a once deserted land. It'll be called the highway of holiness. And those who are evil or foolish will never walk in it. Only those who follow Jesus can walk on the highway of holiness. That's Isaiah 35, 8. It'll be free of all danger. So it'll be a road with no danger that only those that walk with God can walk on the highway of holiness. The whole world is going to be filled with peace. The people of the world, listen to this, will beat their swords and the, into their plowshares and war is going to come to an end. Isaiah 2, 4. In spite of all of this, the millennial kingdom won't be perfect because sin is still going to begin to lurk in the heart of mankind. And as the millennial kingdom draws to an end, it's going to lead to one final rebellion. Okay, this is going to be the final rebellion. This is in Revelation 24. Listen to what it says. Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them that had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus and for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or his statue, nor accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again and they reign with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so listen to what I'm about to say. Again, this is not a salvation issue. If you don't believe me, you can go on Google and start doing your own research. Like I had to research all of this, but I want you to understand something. Okay, listen very closely. Any Christian who died in the past age, any tribulation martyr, which is what I just read you, that's Revelation 24, those are the tribulation martyrs, and those that were raptured, okay, that's three categories, will be ruling on the earth in resurrected bodies and will be free from sin so listen to what i'm telling you anyone that died before so your grandma your grandpa that's already passed away anyone that got raptured anyone that died in the tribulation are going to be resurrected and are going to be in their resurrected bodies and they will be free of sin okay so that's one group that's going to reign remember we're coming back are y'all getting this they're coming back on the earth so that's one group listen to me closely those who became christian after the rapture and survive the tribulation will enter the millennial reign with non-glorified bodies and will begin to repopulate the earth with children and grandchildren okay because isaiah think about this how did i go to heaven in the rapture then come back down and now we're repopulating you're not you're going to be in a glorified body you won't repopulate how did i get martyred in the tribulation now i'm resurrected according to revelation 20 and i'm reigning in the millennial and i'm having children you're not so then where are the babies coming from how are we going to live for a thousand years how will humanity because those that got saved 
after the rapture and survive the tribulation, they are going to have non-glorified bodies. They will repopulate the earth and have children, grandchildren for a thousand years. Okay. So this is, you're not going to understand what I'm about to say because you're going to say, well, how could we do that? If we already got saved, you're, you're going to be in a glorified sinless body and you're going to be able to live forever. You're not going to have to die a second time and then go to a weird heaven. That's not how it works. These are going to be those that got saved after the rapture. So these are going to be a group of people towards the end of the tribulation that begin to resent Jesus. They're going to begin to forget how good the Lord is. And remember, this is the thousand years. They're going to forget what the world was like before Jesus ruled the earth. Because a thousand years, Jesus is going to rule the entire earth. So they're going to tell stories about like the rapture, stories of the tribulation. But they're not going to remember the day that we live in right now. We're living in a day where Jesus doesn't rule the earth. So they're going to re they're going to forget the goodness and the kindness of God and they're going to begin to rebel against God. Their hearts are going to begin to get wicked because again, they're not glorified like we're going to be glorified as believers. If you're a believer right now and you never backslide, you will be in a glorified body whether you get raptured or whether you die before the rapture, you're going to be in a glorified body. Okay. Revelation, again, you can go research this if you don't believe me. This is what 99% of Christian theologians and people that teach Revelation doctrine believe. Revelation 27, this is very important because after a thousand years, Satan's going to be released once again. Revelation 27, when a thousand years comes to an end, and I'm going to show you a picture of the timetable and explain it after. When a thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. Remember, the angel locked him up. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for battle, a mighty armor, army as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain on the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. Are you seeing what's happening here? We have the Satan released. He's tempting the nations again. He goes to every corner of the earth. He assembles an army just like the Antichrist did. Who's the army? It's those that have been repopulating. This is in your Bible. Those that have got saved after the during the tribulation that are not in glorified bodies. Now he's gathering an army numberless as the sand along the seashore. Just like he tempted Adam and Eve to rebel. Just like he tempted the angels to rebel. Satan is back at it once again on his old normal schemes. And he's letting people be tempted once again. This is God purifying the earth for the final time before the new Jerusalem. Okay. But here's what the Bible says. He's surrounding God and God's people. Who's God's people? Us. Those that are in glorified bodies because we're sinless. Satan cannot tempt us. We're without sin because we've already died and been resurrected from the dead. Again, there's no scripture that says you're going to get resurrected twice. And I'm going to show you in a bit. Stay on here for a couple of minutes. I'll show you the timeline. That's us. So Satan and all those people that rebelled, that generation that rebelled, are going to rise up against God's people and against God. And he's going to try to uh, gather an army against him. And he'll probably do the same thing he did in the garden. He'll probably tell all the people, God doesn't want what's best for you. You could be like God. God's looking. He's ruling the whole earth again. And don't you want to follow me? He's going to do the same thing he told the angels. He lobbied the angels against God. But Revelations 20.10 says this. After all of that, he tries to rise up against God. Then the devil who had deceived them. Remember, this is not the Antichrist. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast, who's the Antichrist, and the false prophet. There, will be, there he will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the devil is going to try to go against God, and he's going to fail, and he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire for all of eternity. He'll never be released again. That's the final judgment of Satan being released. Now, I want you to notice the first person to receive eternal judgment is Satan. 
So those that follow Satan rebel against God. Now here's the thing. If you are a part of the rebellion, if you're a part of the armies that Satan tempted, those that Satan brought back of the new generation that rose up from those that got saved, the, the, um, the ancestry line of those that got saved during the tribulation, and you decide to rebel against God in that final battle where God throws Satan into hell, there's no hope for you. It's like taking the mark. Once you take the mark, you're, you're, you're damned to the lake of fire, the Bible says. So you're not going to have a third chance of repentance. God's not going to say, okay, all you rebelled again, and you could get saved again. Because at this point, they're, they're already going to know God. Jesus will be ruling the earth, and there will be no chance for them. So them, along with Satan, are going to get thrown. And the Bible says um, it's going to be sealed for eternity. So the false prophet, the beast, and Satan are going to be next to each other, burning in the lake of fire for all of eternity, okay? And so now we're going into, okay, so now we're at the very end. Satan's judge. We're at the end of the age, and we're at the great white throne judgment. At the end of the millennial the millennial reign, the rest of the dead will come back to life according to Revelation 25 for the great white throne judgment. This judgment is reserved for those who died in their sins. Jesus said this in John 8, 24. This is what I, why I said, you will die in your sins for unless you believe I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. So this is those, that's the great white throne judgment. At the Bema judgment, Jesus handed out rewards. At the great white throne judgment, Jesus will hand out punishments. The Bible says he'll sit on a throne. The earth and the sky will flee from his presence. The dead, both great and small, will stand before him. Revelation 20, 11. Books will be opened. These books will contain the record of each person's deeds, both good and bad, and all the dead will be judged according to their deeds. The book of life will also be opened, and only those who put their trust in Jesus will find their names written in the Lamb's book of life. Anyone whose name is not recorded in the book of life will be thrown into the lake of fire. That's Revelation 20:15. Like Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, the Bible says they're going to experience torment day and night forever and ever. Now we're going to have eternity beginning, okay? The great white throne judgment is over. Everyone's been judged. Everyone's been sentenced either to the fire lake of burning sulfur or they've been us believers. And that's the final judgment. And now eternity is going to begin. So after the great white throne judgment, give me five more Pentecostal minutes. The old heaven, listen to this closely, and the old earth are going to disappear. And God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. The new heaven and the earth He'll create a holy city called the New Jerusalem. Revelation 21. So new heaven, new earth. Everybody's been judged. The New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem. Now I can't describe it because it's too large and your mind's not going to be able to comprehend it. But just know the main street of the city is pure gold. The gold is so pure, the Bible says, it actually looks like glass. The city features 12 pearly gates, each made from a single pearl. That's Revelation 21, 21. John said the city sparkles like a precious stone and he compares it to crystal clear jasper revelation 21 11. an angel guards each of the 12 pearly gates and the gate features the names of the 12 tribes of israel revelation 21 12. so you have an angel on every single gate there's 12 gates in, into the city and there's an angel guarding every single gate and each gate is named after or has the name of one of the tri uh, 12 tribes of israel the city has four sides with three pearl gates on each side. Revelation 21, 13. The city walls are broad and high with 12 foundation stones and the names of the 12 apostles are written on each stone. That's in Revelation 21, 14. The new city shines with the glory of God and its size is the greatest city in history. It's 1,400. Are y'all ready for this? Because y'all are going to be living there. 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, 
and 1,400 miles high. Are y'all thinking about the city? What, how far is 1,400 miles? I don't even know how long that would take to drive. That's like, how many days is that? At, at what, 70 miles an hour? That's like, I don't know how many hours. Somebody write in the chat how long it would take to drive 1,400 miles if you're driving 70 miles an hour. That's how wide, how long, and how high the city is. It's one city. The Bible says its walls are 216 feet thick. That's in Revelations 21, 15. 216 feet thick. No one is getting into the city. And this means the new Jerusalem is either going to be shaped as a cube or as a pyramid. 17 hours, someone said. So it's going to be a 17-hour drive. 32 hours. I think it's 32, right? Seven, is it 32? 20 hour? Okay, so everyone's saying something different. It's halfway across the U.S. So whatever, 20, at least 24 hours, over 25. Okay, 20 hours, everyone's saying. So 20 to 25 hours and you're still barely getting to the end of the city. And it's just a city, y'all. And that's wide, that's long, and that's high. So imagine it's a city that takes up almost half of the United States and extends that far into the air. The materials used to build it are Jasper, Revelation 21:18. The main street is pure gold, as clear as glass, that's Revelation 21:18. Each of the city's 12 foundation stones is inlaid with precious stones, Jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, onyx, carnelian, Chysolite, beryl, topaz, I don't even know how to say this, jansen and amethyst, I don't even know how to say half of these, and that's Revelations 21, 18. So that's the city's foundations, the stone's foundations are all these precious gemstones. So that you could see the human mind cannot comprehend this heavenly city or pure gold like glass, like gold so pure it's like glass. Not only that, there's going to be a river of life along with all these precious metals. The Bible says there's a river of life flowing through the city. They go from the throne of Jesus down the center of the main street, Revelation 22, 1 through 12. And the river is as crystal with a tree of life on each side. The tw these two trees bear 12 crops of fruit. Each grows a fresh crop each month, and the fruit from these will be used as food, Ezekiel 47, 12, while the leaves are used as medicine. That's Revelation 22, 2. These leaves will never turn brown or fall off, and their branches will, will always bear fruit. That's, Revel that's Ezekiel 47, 12. That's the city. And the Bible says the city is going to be bursting with life, sustained by the living water of Jesus Christ. Springs flow in the wilderness and water the wasteland. Springs of water irrigate and plants flourish. So just picture all these plants and this river. It's going to be incredible. The water in the New Jerusalem is more than the river of life. Jesus is the life giving the water. So it's flowing from Jesus. He's the masterpiece. So a among all the city, and here's what I want to close on, and now I'm going to show you the timeline and, and, and finish off the end times uh, timeline. Jesus dwells among us. Here's the best part. God is going to dwell among us. That's the most glorious part of the new Jerusalem. Has nothing to do with all the Jasper, the rivers of living water. It has to do with God himself. Revelation 21.3 will dwell among men. He will make his home among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. In the new Jerusalem, Jesus will illuminate all life. And this is why the Bible says the glory of the sun and moon are going to fade and the Lamb of God will give the city its light and there will be no need for a temple in the city because Jesus is going to light up the entire city. He's going to be the temple. Revelation 21, 22, Jesus will be the temple. God will remove the curse he placed on the earth in the Garden of Eden. That's Isaiah eleven six 6 and Romans eight twenty. He will sit on his throne and the people will see his face and serve him and worship him and his name will be written on their foreheads and they will reign with him forever and ever. That's Revelation 23, 22, verse 3. 
So in short, the new Jerusalem is heaven. It's going to be the final destination. This will be the eternal state from now going forward. I don't know what we'll do, but we will be leaving there for all of eternity. I love this one because disabilities will no longer exist. The Bible says the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the paralyzed will walk, and the mute will sing songs of joy. That's Isaiah 35, 5. No one will hear sounds of weeping or crying. There'll be no crying or weeping now. That's Isaiah 65, 19. God's people will enter the city singing, crowned with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will be gone, replaced with joy and gladness. That's Isaiah 35, 10. And God himself will wipe away every tear, death, sorrow, crying, and pain. Revelation 21, 4 says we'll be gone forever, and that will be life in the new Jerusalem. I don't know about you, I want to go there. Listen, if you are not a believer tonight, if you're not a solid Christian, I would make sure you do whatever it takes. I know many of you said you've been crying. This is the new Jerusalem. This is where we're going. This is where we will live forever. Now, let me show you this picture as a recap. Okay, for those of you that are confused, this is going to help you a lot. This right here is a recap of everything I've taught for the last three weeks. I found this awesome graph. So right here in the beginning, you can't see my mouse, but we're at the present age, the present church age, okay? This is going to be the final timeline for you guys to understand this wrap up here. This is right here, the present age, okay? Then we go into the rapture of the church, twinkling of an eye, blink of an eye, no one knows the day or time, coming like a thief on the night. This is the rapture of the church. No one's going to know when the time is. Nobody knows the time of the rapture, okay? Then we go into three and a half years, which is called the beginning of sorrows. This is part of the seven years of the tribulation. Are you all with me? Type one. Okay. Halfway through after three and a half years. Yeah, you guys can screenshot this. Is the desecration of the temple. Okay. That's after three and a half years. The next three and a half years is the great tribulation. That, that equals out total seven years. After the seven years of tribulation, which I've already showed you guys all about, is the return of Christ. All right, that's the battle of Armageddon where God defeats, Jesus defeats the Antichrist and the false prophet, all right, and establishes his government and sets up throne in Jerusalem. He's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in half. Then we have the millennial reign of Christ. Are y'all are y'all here? Okay. That's 1,000 years. We're on the millennial reign of Christ. I tell you about that tonight. That's where you will come as an army and rule and reign with Christ. Remember, if you've been, if you died before the rapture, if you got raptured, or if you got martyred, you will come back during the millennial kingdom and you will be in a glorified body because you don't have to die twice. Remember, you'll be in a glorified body without sin and you will reign 1,000 years as a ruler in the 1,000 years. Other people are going to be dying, having children, all that. You will not be. You will be in a glorified body if you're a believer. Now, if you get saved during the tribulation and you get saved and survive the tribulation, you will not have a glorified body. You will directly go into the millennial reign of Christ, okay? There's not going to be a resurrection. You will go into the millennial reign. You'll have children, all that type of stuff, and you'll carry on a legacy through them. After a thousand years, the devil's going to be released at the final before the final judgment to tempt the world. Then... We have the final judgment. That's the great white throne judgment, right? The final judgment. And then remember, during the return of Christ is the Bama judgment and all that type of stuff where you're going to get rewards. The final judgment is going to be the great white throne where God settles everyone's account. Every person's account, their book, their that is done. It's final. There's no going back. Every, every I is dotted. Every T is crossed. And now we go into the eternal state. The eternal state is now the new Jerusalem, the new earth, where we will live forever eternally with Christ. Now, what is going to happen after the eternal state? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what's going to happen in the new Jerusalem. What are we going to do? Are we just going to live there? I don't know, but I cannot wait to see. I am excited to see what that's going to be like in the new Jerusalem. 
And so don't play games with God. I'm going to pray for you tonight because if you're playing games with God, if you're in this broadcast tonight, you say, Lord, I don't know you. You need to get right with God. God is drawing you. There is an urgency tonight. God is doing something because God's desire, the Bible says, is that no one will perish. Now I gave you guys 124 because I counted every one of them. I gave you 124 verse references. I gave you 124 scriptures tonight. You have to go back and write some of these down. This is the reality that we are living in the last days and we're getting ready to go into the end times. Now, we're not in the end times yet. We're in the last days, but we're getting ready to go in. Now, if you haven't seen the last two weeks, you need to go back and watch them so you have a full picture of the second coming and the rapture and the tribulation. I think I've given you guys overwhelming biblical evidence of everything I'm sharing, everything I'm talking about. I spent hours, hours, hours preparing, and I believe tonight the Lord wants to touch somebody. This is not just head knowledge. This is the Holy Spirit. Guys, the whole time I'm preaching, I'm getting emotional. I'm feeling the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is drawing his church and calling his church to be aware of these last days. So we're going to pray over you. Wherever you're at, you can put your hands out, lay hands on your kids, whatever you need to do. Father, I pray right now that we would not be sleeping in these last days. Lord, I pray that you would open up the eyes of your church. I pray that you would open up our understanding. Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying. God, that we don't want to play games with you, that we don't want to get left behind, God, that we don't want to be around, God, during these times of trial, but Lord, we want to come back as an army with you and reign with you. So Lord, I pray that you would give us compassion. I pray that we would not live our lives for today, but we would live our lives with an eternal perspective that there are rewards that you want to pass out to those that diligently seek you. And so, Father, I pray, and guys, I'm praying for myself. You could pray this over yourself. Lord, I pray that I would not be so worried about possessions, human possessions. God, I don't want to be worried about earthly possessions or earthly things, but let my eyes be set on you. Let my heart be set on you. Let my mind be set on you. Let me focus on eternity, God. Let me focus on the now. As Paul said that our, our works are going to get thrown in the fire and only things that are left are that are eternal. Father, I pray that you help me to be heavenly minded, God. You help me to set my mind. The Bible says set your mind on things above, not things beneath. Lord, let me set my mind on heavenly things. Let me earnestly pursue you and desire you. God, I just pray over your, over your people tonight, your fire and your power and your Holy Spirit. I pray over the 3,500 people watching this that are hungry for you, that want to know you, that want to experience you. I pray right now a touch of the Holy Spirit. I pray right now that you would fill them, God, that you would baptize them, God, that you would anoint them with your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I just say have your way right now. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray the fire of the Holy Spirit. I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray you would do what only you can do in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God. Even those in the chat, God, that are unbelievers, Lord, that are mocking, I pray, God, that you would draw them, that you would touch them. They might be mocking now, but Lord, I know that they're staying on here for a reason, that they're listening for a reason. And I just pray, God, those that are mocking, those that are that those that those don't know you, I pray that you would just release your presence over them. I pray that you would release your power over them right now. In Jesus' name, God, bring healing to bodies. Bring an urgency. Bring an urgency, God. I just pray, God, the gift of repentance be released. Lord, release repentance. If you don't know him, Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit. Tonight is your night to repent. Tonight is your night to say, I'm not going to lead you through a prayer. You're going to say, Lord, I pray and I turn from my ways. I don't want to live for myself any longer. I don't want to serve the enemy any longer. But God, I want to know you. I acknowledge what you did on the cross, that his blood has been shed for you. That is only by the shed blood of Jesus 
that you can receive salvation. So I pray, Lord, that you would draw them. The Bible says nobody comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So right now, if you're an unbeliever, repent right now. Listen, I was an atheist when I got saved. I was an atheist at an altar. And I said, Lord, I don't effing believe in you. I cussed at him. And I said, and I'm not praying the sinner's prayer because I did that my whole life. But I said, if you're real, I'll lay everything down. I'll do anything. And I got serious with God and God radically changed my life. And I know God wants to do that in you and through you tonight. So Father, I pray that you would radically change them, that you would radically deliver them and that you would release the gift of repentance. I'm telling you, now is your time. Maybe you're a believer, but you've fallen asleep and you've gotten lukewarm. God is saying, now is the time to repent. Now's the time, 3,500 of you watching, now's the time to turn from your ways. Father, we turn. Lord, I repent in my own life, God. Is there any sin? Guys, I'm starting with me. I'm not above reproach. I'm not too holy or holier than you guys. I pray, Lord, right now that you would start it in me and that you'd wash me and that you'd cleanse me and that, Lord, I put my trust in you. In Jesus' name, God, wash me. I turn from my ways, God. If there's any hidden sin in my life, if there's any un sin I don't even know about, Father, I pray that you would just wash me with your blood that you would cleanse me with your word, that you would cleanse me with your Holy Spirit's power. Do the work in me. And Father, I thank you that right now you are breaking anxiety. You are breaking the power of suicide. You are breaking the power of death. You are breaking the spirit of fear. Right now in Jesus' name, God is preparing his remnant and his bride. And I say fear, come off of them in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, you must go fear. You have no power. You have no power. The Lord rebukes you. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, release your power. Right now, release your power, Holy Spirit. I just say, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, power of the Holy Ghost. Fire of the Holy Ghost right now. Deliverance, I pray. Chains break. Satan, come off of these people right now in Jesus' name. You have no power. I break every demonic strategy, every demonic assignment. The Bible says that he disarmed powers and principalities at the cross. Satan, you are broken right now. Anxiety, go in Jesus' name. There's someone watching right now. You've been anxious. No one knows you've been having anxiety attacks. And right now, I believe that you're a leader in a church. And right, God wants to break it. I feel it right now. You're a leader. You don't know where to go, who to turn. But God says, I am breaking your anxiety now in Jesus' name. Right now, whatever pastor that, that is, whatever leader that is, right now, the Lord is breaking your anxiety. The Lord is breaking your depression. In Jesus' name, anxiety go. Worthlessness, we command you to break, be broken now in Jesus' name. Listen, if you've been feeling worthless... You've been feeling tired on the verge of giving up. This is your moment right now. God is refilling. God is rebaptizing, And God is releasing his anointing and his fire right now. In Jesus' name, you're not going to give up. I hear the Lord saying to tell the people, you will not give up in Jesus' name. You will not give up. Strength is coming. Peace is coming. Joy is coming. Breakthrough is coming. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I just pray, Holy Spirit, release your power. I pray, Holy Spirit, release your fire. Do what only you can do in Jesus' mighty name. We break off tiredness, depression, anxiety, weariness. Go in Jesus' name. You have no power. Spirit of anxiety, out in Jesus' name. Spirit of fear and depression, out in Jesus' name. You're not going to give up. You're not going to give up. I know many of you are saying, that's me. You are not going to give up in Jesus' name. You're going to keep going in Jesus' name. You're going to keep fighting in Jesus' name. Father, right now, release your Holy Spirit power. Fire of God. If you want to get baptized in the Holy Ghost, now's your time. I pray, Lord, that you would baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire. Baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire right now. Lord, I pray that you would go in and begin to drive out these demons. They have no power. Satan, you have no power. We are not your home. Let the devil know you are not my home. We speak freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Loose them right now, Satan. Loose them right now. Loose them right now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for your power, your kindness, and your love. 
Loose him right now, Satan. You have no power. I pray right now in Jesus' name, deliverance. Deliverance, break out. Holy Spirit, release your power. Satan, you are bound. Your works are bound. Your strategies are bound. We're on to you. You're a lying. You're a liar. And we command your power to be broken right now in Jesus' mighty name. Holy Spirit, I just say have your way right now. Healing power, deliverance power in our children. We pray deliverance. We pray that you would deliver our children in Jesus' name. Just begin to intercede for your kids. Begin to ask the Lord to deliver them right now. Father, we pray that you would deliver our children. Deliver them from the hand of the enemy. Deliver them from the powers of darkness right now. In Jesus' mighty name, Holy Ghost fire. I speak over you that you are a temple of Almighty God. You are not a dwelling place for the enemy. And we say, Satan, you have no power over them any longer. We break the strategies, the assignments right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, that we are born again, that we are blood purchased and blood bought. We will not give any space or room for the enemy. So right now, we just thank you, Lord, that you're encouraging those that are tired, that are weary, that are on the verge of giving up. They will just keep running the race. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, fire. I pray Holy Spirit fire right now be released in Jesus name someone's like where is the interpretation that's not what I'm doing I'm praying in tongues not speaking in tongues there's no interpretation needed I'm praying to the Father right now Holy Spirit be released thank you Lord for your blood thank you for eternal rewards God thank you tonight Lord let's just thank him guys for tonight thank you Lord for changing our mindset thank you for revealing your word to us God you're making it clear you're making it understandable God and we thank you Lord that you will have your way and that you will do what only you can do. You will do what only you can do. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for your wisdom and revelation. And we say, devil, you can't steal this. You can't take this. The word that was spoken tonight, you can't touch it. In Jesus' name, the bird will not steal the word. In Jesus' name, the Bible says Satan comes to steal the word right after it's preached. And the devil is a liar and we rebuke him and he's not gonna steal this word. You will remember it. You will remember it. You will, God will use it to grow fruit and there will be fruit on it in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord. Guys, what an awesome night. Let me change this. It's not Let's Talk Supernatural. What an amazing night tonight. I felt the power of God. Honestly, I think I felt the presence and power of God stronger than I've ever felt it during a broadcast. And God is just doing miraculous things. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.